If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll pick up our study walking through 1 Corinthians with chapter 7, verses 1 through 9 this morning. Now, we are living in cloudy days, and by that, I don't mean the weather. We're living in days where there's a great deal of moral confusion and angst even on many fronts as a nation, politically, socially, within education, within the workplace, within churches, within families, within marriages, and within our homes even. However, let me say, in the midst of the clouds and the moral confusion and angst, we do have a respite. And it's what we've been seeing and it's what we've been hearing throughout 1 Corinthians. It's God's plans, not our plans. It's the wisdom of God rather than the wisdom of man. It is the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is what we need right now, in our present day and in future days. As the clouds come, and honestly, friends, they will keep on coming. <laughs> and so this morning, we are going to do just this. We are not going to go to ourselves, but we are going to go to the Word. Amen. We're going to go to the cross. And as we do that, as we come to this passage, we're going to do that for three matters that have been matters of great confusion in our day. And specifically these three. Marital union singleness, and marriage. So to see this, let's look here, beginning with verse 1. And may the Lord bring clarity in the midst of confusion. Help us, Lord, and bless the reading and preaching of your word. Amen. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am, but each is his own gift from God one of one kind and of one of another. 
To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now one thing we might trip over as we come to passages like this one is with our view of the gospel. Now what do I mean? We begin tripping and falling all over the place when our view of the gospel is rather limited, when it's rather small, rather than seeing the gospel for just how big and how massive and how all-encompassing it really is. So the gospel is the good news of the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. Amen. However, its ramifications, its implications, and its applications go right into every area of our lives. All of our lives. Every sphere of our lives. If you believe it, if you have repented and you have trusted in Christ as your Lord, He is Lord of your life and of everything. I mean, this is why Paul, it makes total sense when he says something in Philippians 1.21 that many probably would not say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If he is Lord of everything, that makes total sense. Because he is the treasure of your life. He is the one you love above anything else. For to me to live is Christ in every aspect of my life. You name it, Christ. And for me to die is also Christ. Because he is Lord of everything. And so maybe... As we have walked through 1 Corinthians over these last few weeks and these last few chapters, maybe Paul, he has surprised you. If Jesus is your life, if the gospel is real to us, if it is real to you, then it will mean the faithful, humble, practicing of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, of church discipline. It will mean resolving conflicts among believers, being oriented not toward going to the world to resolve your differences, to resolve our differences, but aiming to resolve those differences, your differences that you may have with someone else here within the church, with one another. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. It will mean... Fleeing from sexual immorality as those whose bodies are not their own. Your body is not your own. Your body belongs to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. The gospel will impact everything 
And so if your view of the gospel is only that it's the life, death, and burial, and resurrection, and it basically means nothing after you believe that, then you won't understand all these chapters that Paul has been saying and all these things he's going to say today. You're going to come to the words this morning and will say, this is not right to talk about in church. This is left somewhere else. Maybe the public school could talk about this in our place. Maybe someone else could come along, a counselor, and tell us all about these things. Or maybe, maybe our friends and our job could tell us all about this stuff. But don't let, this, let these kind of things come into the church. Well, friends, you need to see that your, your view of the gospel is not to be small and it is not to be limited. It is to be all-encompassing, covering every area of your life. And so it makes complete sense then as we come to this passage. And so it is that we come here. Paul applying the gospel, the cross, the wisdom of God to marital union. And by that, I don't mean getting married. I mean sex within marriage. Applying it to marital union, singleness in marriage. So it's no accident that all of this that he says here comes right off of that last verse from chapter 6, verse 19. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so it is then that we come to these verses here. We come to chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And we see this. We see the godly good of marital union. The godly good of marital union. Now as we consider these verses, see that this marital union of sex within marriage is an aspect of godliness, not a mark against it. Now, we could stop right there, and that might blow your mind. Maybe you have not thought of marital union sex that way. So let me just say it again. Marital union or sex within marriage is an aspect of godliness and not a mark against it. Now, immediately, though, we have caught light coming through the clouds of our times in verses 1 through 2 here. The context for this union is marriage between a man and a woman. Amen. Now, as we look at this, these verses, at this opening verse here, when Paul, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, we see it wasn't just Paul who wrote to the Corinthians, but the Corinthians at some point, and we don't know all the details of their letter to Paul, but at some point, they wrote to Paul as well. And so it's here that Paul is turning to address what they wrote him, to, to, to address their concerns. And so we find here a change of tone as well. 
Now, if you've been here and walking through these chapters, you know the tone of Paul has been rather urgent. I mean, it has been in your face. He has been direct. He has been confronting various serious things within the church of Corinth. But here it's different. It's more pastoral. It's less direct and more sympathetic as he gives these words. And so it is that he's addressing here their concern from their letter. Their concern there in verse 1, it says, this is what they were saying, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So in other words, to a greater or lesser degree, they thought it was better, godlier, not to have sex. They thought there was a greater holiness in not having sexual relations And likely that, even within marriage. That's why Paul turns here. Now some still think this way today. Maybe even some of you. Well here, Paul sets the context for this union. For sex. It's not just any context whatsoever. It's marriage between a man and a woman. That is the only definition of marriage. There is no other form of marriage that exists. Sexual desires, they are not pointing you and me towards sexual immorality, towards sex without restraint. They aren't pointing us away from marriage. What they are doing is they are pointing us to marriage. God's design, God's created order, not away from God's created order, not away from marriage. So marriage between a man and a woman is the covenantal context for sex. All other forms fall under the category of sexual immorality. Whatever it is, any other form is sexually immoral. So in other words, there's no other context where it's right, where it's good, where it's godly, and where it's for the glory of God to have sex except within the marriage covenant. So if it's not clear, sex within marriage is God-glorifying. And sex outside of marriage is not. Marital union is the closest that we will be in our fallen world to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. That Francie read from a moment ago, being naked and not ashamed where you can be known and you're not thinking of all this other stuff. However, I think if we're honest, we still struggle with that also. But as we see verse 2 here, and as you think about verse 2, you might think it's a bit odd. Verse 2. So in 2023, in a world that is comfortable 
with sinful sex, with sexual morality, with relations contrary to nature, Romans 1.26, and more, it might be that you think what Paul is saying here is a rather odd solution. So verse 2, right, it says, but because of the temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And so you might be thinking, well, wait, how, or like what he's saying here, how will you keep those sexual desires, those burnings at bay? Well, you need to get married. That's what he's saying here in verse 2. Now, why may some see this as an odd solution? Well, they may see it as an odd solution because as we look out and we see people who are married, what do we find? We still find this, right? We still see husbands and wives living in sexual sin. We still see them committing adultery and doing all sorts of other things. And so it is that you might ask yourself, I mean, is this really the solution? And so that might be why we may look at this verse and think it's a bit odd. Now, here's where we see part of the bigger issue among believers and among ourselves in our day right now. The gospel is so often limited to church and not connected to everything else. This is how many who profess to be Christians, how they live their lives. As they live it, as they think about life and the world as they discuss money, as they talk about and work through communication issues, as they work through conflict, as they raise their children, as they have children, as they think about education, as they think about work, as they think about the world. It's just all disconnected from the word, from the wisdom of God, and from the gospel. And so when you come to this issue then, with all these other things that are already detached from the gospel, well, yeah, you're going to have some issues here. Because there's other things going on in your heart than just sex. There's other crossless things that you're living according to. There's other wisdom of men sort of things in your life, in your heart, in your thinking. As you go to work and as you go to the grocery store and as you talk to your neighbor or your family, or you celebrate Christmas, or you celebrate Thanksgiving, or whatever you do. So in the context of the all-encompassing nature of the gospel, of the all-encompassing nature of the lordship of Jesus Christ, Paul's answer here really is not odd. Sexual morality is strategically addressed through marriage and within marriage by embracing what God has created for our good. Husbands and wives embracing their call to marital union. And so it's here that Paul turns to make a number of points regarding marital union, regarding sex within marriage. And so first, he makes clear marital union 
is a command. Marital union is a command. And we see that there in verses 3 through 4. It's part of marriage. And so if you are married, and only if you are married, it's going to sound strange, but this is it. It is your duty to have sex. That's what Paul is saying. This means if you're not, you're living outside of the will of God. And it's disobedience. Now there's some caveats that we'll talk about here in a moment. I mean, there are things that can be happening with our bodies. You know, we get older, or aches and pains. We, you know, can't do what we used to do, and so on. Physical issues, health issues. But even then, we are to do everything we can to embrace this command. It's not all just about how you feel and pleasure. It's about the one flesh union, which is where we turn next. So second, marital union is about being one flesh. Paul says there in verse 4, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So what's all of that about here that he's He's saying, I mean, what's all this talk about authority here? Well, that, uh, that word authority, it might be a scary word. And, well, we'll talk about the misuse of that in a bit. But it's not about who's the boss. It's not about something ugly. It's about something beautiful. It's about Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and this wondrous, God-ordained, one-flesh union. It's about a godly, Godward unity. And as we are one flesh, it really is about the cross within marriage as well. Like, you don't just put aside the gospel and the cross as you're thinking about marital union it's the pursuing husbands it's the pursuing wives of the good of the other it's denying yourself and loving your spouse to the glory of god that's what's happening it's saying here is my true friend my love the one i delight in and the one i delight to love It's the heart of Romans 12.10, which says, Outdo one another in showing honor. That's what's going on in marital union. It's laying your life down for the other. It's the cross within your marriage. And that's not ugly. It's God's design for sex. And it's beautiful and beautifully cross-centered. That as you have sex, you're looking out for the other, aiming to outdo one another and showing honor. And there is the cross in marital union. 
Third, marital union may be abstain, abstained from for the purpose of prayer. For the purpose of prayer. And this is in verses 5 through 6. This is the only reason Paul allows for a husband and a wife not to come together. The word there for deprive, it actually means to steal, to defraud, or keeping what is owed from someone. And so this means, outside of this reason that Paul gives here, you're robbing one another. You're not laying your life down for the other person. Again, we could talk about caveats and things like, well, I'm tired and I had a big day and all these things like that, very practically, right? But that's also where the cross comes in, laying down your life like, well, maybe not tonight, maybe another night when you can, when you're not worn out and those kind of things. It is the cross in all these things. The reason not to come together that Paul gives here is for prayer. And he probably means so that you can pray together. It's purposely praying together to set your eyes on the Lord. Where you're both just saying, He still is the one that we're both united under above anyone or anything else. He is our chief treasure and our chief portion forever, even above my husband, even above my wife. You are my treasure and you are our treasure together. Yet even here, though, you're only to abstain by agreement. Like you both agree with this. And that for only a brief time. We're not talking about 20 years, right? 10 years, 5 years, 1 year. Now, he doesn't specify how long, but it's not months, it's not years, it's short. With this purpose, verse 5, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, marital union serves as a protection against Satan's strategies to destroy you, to destroy your spouse, to destroy your marriage, and to put a blemish on the gospel. His point is, don't give time for Satan to get a foothold in your marriage, to tempt you, to urge you on to lose, your, lose sight of the cross, to lose sight of laying your life down for one another. Don't let him do that. Now, verse 6 here is likely connected to verses 1 through 5, or verses 5 through 6, or 5, verse 5, about his point about prayer. He's saying that is the concession abstaining for a time to pray. And it's not a command. So it's something you might do by agreement for a time, but it's not a command, not required. 
marital union is required, but the concession isn't. So you may or may not do this. But you must unite. And so as we hear all of this, as you are seeing these things, thinking through these things, what we are to do is we are to take up Paul's words here, God's words here, and rejoice in God's wisdom. God created sex. Sin distorted sex. See the blessing of marital union that sex within marriage is good and it is godly and it is right. So rejoice in God's wisdom, but then also see the call to godliness in your marriage. This is a part of godliness. It's not contrary to godliness. It's about the cross, it's about the gospel, and it's not opposite to it. And the truth is, oftentimes marital union reveals other stuff, you know, other issues in your marriage as well. So if you're, if you're not talking, you're not communicating, you're not caring for one another, and you're at odds with one another, those things will come out there. That's another reason why you need to be doing it regularly. It reveals, it's God's sanctifying work in your marriage to reveal issues that maybe you put over here, you put over there, but you can't ignore them here. It reveals things you need to work through together in view of Christ specifically. Not in view of all a thousand other things. Not in view of the wisdom of man, but in view of the wisdom of God. Now at this point, it's important to say this. What Paul is saying here, this is not giving anyone the right to abuse to rape, or to control their spouse. Amen. This passage, nor any other passage in Scripture, gives you that right as a husband or as a wife. That is absolutely not how to view this passage. Abuse is selfish and sinful. You can see, not about the cross, not about Christ. Rape is selfish and sinful. Control is selfish and sinful. Manipulation is selfish and sinful. But the cross is selfless and godly. And so this is about reasonable, loving, life-laying down, God-glorifying marital union and not about seeing your spouse as merely an object to do with whatever you please. Also, it's important to hear this because this is certainly what we're hearing everywhere. And we hear it again and again, and I've heard it as a pastor as well. 
If you do those things, or if you commit some form of sexual sin, this is not giving you an allowance or an excuse for blaming your spouse for your sin. That's on you. You. Now, there can be other issues in your marriage, but you chose to do that. And so, friends, as you see this, as we nearly never hear this from the pulpit, see that God has given us this word this morning that every single person in this room would hear these things. God wants you to hear these things. And he wants you to think about these things. So friends, you are being called to the cross in this also. Now our passage turns here next to another godly good. So we've seen the godly good of marital union. Well, now we see the godly good of singleness. The godly good of singleness. Now, that may be an odd way to put this, but it's right. Now, Paul, he will talk more about singleness later in this chapter. But here he makes clear that singleness and marriage are both gifts. Singleness and marriage are both gifts. So there at the beginning of verse 7, Paul says he wishes all were like him, that all were single. Now that is saying something, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, that's quite different from the way that we think of singleness today, right? I mean, like everyone's trying to stay, or many are trying to stay as far away from singleness as they can. Paul's not like that. He's like, I wish you were like me, single, Unmarried. Now many, they think marriage is the godlier path. But Paul's correcting that idea in our day. He's saying that both are godly and both are gifts from God. Marriage, singleness, and marriage. Verse 7, But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So some are gifted to be single, while others are to be married. Now the big issue in Paul's mind above everything else is this. Glorify God with your body. You see why it's all related back to that and why we need to hear about this right now? Glorify God with your body. So whether you're single or you're married, glorify God. That's the main thing and that's to be our main aim. I mean, how topsy-turvy history has been on this. I mean, at one point... You were godlier if you were single. You can think of all sorts of things in history, monasticism, monks, and so on. 
but you are godlier if you did not marry. Yet now, at least within the church, many think that you're godlier if you're married, and you're less godly if you're single. I mean, just consider how you treat singles around you, other single believers. Do you treat them as though they're in a lower state? And if you're married here, well, that's identifying this. You think it's godlier to be married than to be single. Well, Paul, he says, no, both are good and godly gifts from God. However, as he says this, he gives some guidance here. As practical as Paul is on whether to remain single or to get married, and here's his counsel, here's his guidance. If you're burning with sexual desire, get married. Verse 8 through 9. Now also note here, or there, sexual desire in itself is not sinful, right? The unmarried and the widows, verse 8, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And that burning with passion by itself is not a sin. But if you're fearful, you might give in to sexual temptation. He's saying, get married. Now, none of this is saying if you're gifted with a desire to be single that you'll never have any sexual desires at all. That's not what this is saying either. Like, well, I think I'm gifted to be a single for the rest of my life or maybe for a time in my life. doesn't mean you won't have any sexual desire at all. But on the whole, you'll see that your gifting is there to glorify God in your singleness. Now, Paul will say more about singleness later in this chapter, but right now we need to see the gift of singleness. It is a gift, and God does give some to voluntarily take up singleness and not to marry. And in that, as you hear that this morning, Wherever you are, if you're married or single here, you need to see that singleness is not a curse. Friends, this is the reason God calls people to be single. You want to know what the reason is? Well, here it is. To glorify Him in their singleness. Singleness frees you up to serve Him and to go anywhere and do anything in service to the Lord. I mean, you can drop anything and everything most of the time and just arise and go for the sake of Christ. Now, when I say that, and as Paul's saying this, he does not mean it's going to be easy. Loneliness is not easy. Walking through all the emotions of singleness, that's not easy. But marriage is not the only way to be around people. You know, God's given his church 
other brothers and sisters in the Lord for you to befriend, to know, and to fellowship with. And so if God perhaps is calling you to singleness, invest yourself into the lives of others for his glory. So see the gift of singleness, but also see the gift of marriage. Marriage also is a gift. Marriage is not a curse, contrary to the way that some have talked about it, even within our churches. I mean, all this talk about the old ball and chain, right? I mean, that's what you're saying. It's just a curse, right? I mean, that's, that's no good. That's not what marriage is supposed to be. So what is God calling you to do if you're married here? Glorify God in your marriage. Lay your life down for your spouse in view of the gospel. And unless there's any illusion here, marriage isn't easy either. (laughs) You might be lonely and you're married for the rest of your life, even as you pursue these things. But see God's purposes and call for you to love and lay down your life for each other and for others. So as I began, friends, we are living in cloudy days, but don't let the clouds and the moral confusion dictate and determine how you will live. The world is not to set our agenda, saints. We have an agenda. We have God's word. So let Christ be your life. Live for his glory, friends. All of you, all of us, whether you're married or single, rejoice him and take up God's good gifts for his glory. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning and we thank you for your word. And as we have walked through it, verse by verse, The strangeness of these verses is not showing that it should not be preached in our churches. It's showing how much they have are in need of being preached and even how much they have perhaps been neglected in our churches. How we have ran from these sort of discussions in the past. But, oh Lord, help us to take up the whole counsel of God this morning. Help us to do that. Those who are married here, help them to take up these words. It may mean sitting down, talking, figuring some things out, working through issues, 
And Father, we pray that you would help each married couple to do just that. Because this will call them to and even lead them to do just that in view of the cross. And so we pray for the married here. May you help them to take up these words and see the gift of their marriage and glorify you in it. And for those who are single here, we pray for them, whether they're single for a time or perhaps you're calling them to the gift of singleness, we pray that you'd help them to see the call for them also to glorify you in their singleness. And as we've had this time this morning, if there are any here who don't know you, Lord, As we have come to your word, we have lifted up the cross of Jesus Christ and looking at marital union and looking at singleness and looking at marriage. May they see their need is Christ and that life and forgiveness are found in turning from sin and turning from self and turning to Christ and turning from self. And so may you help them to repent and trust in Christ as their Lord this morning. And so be with us, Father, we pray as we respond, as we sing, I surrender all. May the cross be before our eyes. And may we respond before you, Lord, this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.